This episode of History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast, is brought to you by Frame Nation. Frame Nation is your one stop for any kind of framing or displaying needs you may have. They are at 11 South 15th Street. You can find out all kinds of excellent information at framenation.net. Whether you are looking for something that is museum quality or if you're looking for something a little bit more affordable, you know, something very conservative, get something kind of funky going on as well. They have an excellent selection, uh, a very, very helpful staff that will, you know, help get the, the perfect, dis, uh, you know, frame that's not going to overshadow whatever you're trying to display, but it'll actually complement it, make it pop get people's attention going on there. Uh, find out more information or contact them on the web, at, again, at framenation.net. They're also on Facebook, Twitter, Pinterest, uh, Instagram. Um, if you can contact someone or follow someone somewhere, you can do it with Frame Nation, and you should. Go do it. I do it. Go down to Frame Nation. This is History Replays Today, the Richmond History Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. My name is Jeff Major. I hope you're having an amazing day. The president of the board of directors for Shaco Hill Cemetery is my guest, Jeffrey Burden. He's going to be telling us all about the, the oldest cemetery in the city, uh, or it's the oldest municipal cemetery um, that you know that they established and, and, and set up proper. Um, the buried out there is, you know, Tons of folks associated with Edgar Allan Poe. Um, John Marshall uh, is buried out there with his wife. Uh, he's the subject of the last episode. Uh, you should go back and listen to that if you haven't heard it. And um, Heck, Poe is the subject of the second episode. So go back and listen to that as well. Um, you know, listen to them all. What's the hold up here? Um, go download them all and listen to them all. Uh, but Elizabeth Van Lu is buried out there. She is... Uh, you know, she's known uh, as, as Crazy Bet. She's one of, if not the most important spies for the Union Army. She's a fantastic character that I, I'm really interested in. Um, you know, I, I don't know who, who I'm going to talk to yet, uh, but I need to find an expert on Van Lu and talk to her. If anybody has any suggestions, if maybe it's you, let me know. Also, Peter Francisco, he's out there super amazing you know he doesn't have a giant blue ox but he's like this you know very mythical um, Paul Bunyan type figure where there's stories of him taking on you know 30 men and pulling a cannon out of this deep mud and um, he's actually known as the giant of the American Revolution I think I know who I'm going to contact and, and talk to about that I just just need to have that make that happen but I'm pretty excited about that um, if you've never been out to Shaco Hill, it's it's pretty small. Uh, it's not not that big, um, but it's a uh, it's on it's on the north side, uh, and it's between Second and Fourth Street and Hospital and East Bates Street. Um, across the street is the Jewish Cemetery. Uh, that's a pretty amazing place over there. They actually have the only, uh, from what I understand, it's the only Jewish. Civil War burial ground you'll find anywhere. They'll they also have the it's the only Jewish military burial ground in the world outside of Israel. Now I know there's a little bit of dispute with that if you look online it's something in Germany and I don't know the actual distinctions, but two and two in the world ain't bad. I mean that, that's pretty awesome. Uh, it is definitely you know just near Gilpin Court, which I know makes a lot of people nervous. Um, but if that turns you off and you don't want to go out there, then there's going to be a lot of people out there from whenever they have events and they're going to be having amazing events. March 15th, they're actually going to be dedicating a new marker for 14 of the more than 40 women and children that actually died on Brown's Island during the expo explosion that was there in 1863 in March of 1863. Um, 13 of the 14 that they're going to be, uh, uh, you know, commemorating out there at Shaco Hill we're actually under 17, um, and that's March 15th. March 16th, they'll be hosting a St. Patrick's Day event with Irish food, drinks, uh, music by the Clan Haggis. Uh, they're going to have special immigrant-themed tours, and that that's going to go on from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock. 
March 29th. Uh, they're going to have a cleanup day that's sponsored by a bunch of groups, but any volunteers are welcome. And then March 5th, they'll be dedicating a, a new market marker to the Patriots of the Revolution. That's sponsored by the Chancellor Witt chapter of the DAR. Uh, and if you can't get out to any of those, you know, all summer, starting May, May 4th, the first and third Sunday of each month, they'll be offering different themed tours of Shaco Hill Cemetery out there. Go check it out. It's pretty amazing. Uh, also, go check out River City Segs, another one of our sponsors. Uh, River City Segs is actually offering, uh, for the first time ever, they're introducing a Women in RVA History Segway Tour. It's going to be really exciting. Um, they have $59 normally, uh, but for Women's History Month, if you don't know, March is Women's History Month. Happy Women's History Month, uh, women. If you mention the 19th Amendment, which gives women the right to vote nationally, uh, you'll get $19 off. So that'll make the tour only $40 throughout March. And and come check it out. I mean, you can find out more information at rivercitysegs.com. Follow River City Segs uh, on Facebook, on Tum, on uh, Instagram, uh, or on Twitter at 804segs. And to make reservations for that Women women in RVA History Segway Tour, that's going to be... Uh, 343-6105-804-343-6105. So do that. That, that, That's definitely going to, it's going to be a good time. I'm excited about it. So before I get into this with Jeffrey, I actually met him one time. Um, If anybody has read anything that I've written online, I I used to write at historyreplaystoday.com. I'm going to probably start reposting some of that on historyreplaystoday.org, just officially get transferred over. Um, Every once in a while, when I would go visit places like this, like like uh, Shaco Hill Cemetery, we'd bring my dog, um, the history pug. And my wife and I went and took the history pug to Shaco Hill Cemetery, and we saw a man digging around, didn't know what he was doing, messing with a grave. So we went out there and started to, he started talking to us and um, asking us if we had any questions, and gave us an impromptu tour very quickly. Uh, and it turns out it was Jeffrey Burden. Excellent guy. So when he, he, when we did this conversation, he actually came over my house. Um, I don't know if the history pug remembered him, um, and just wanted to play if he was extra excited. Um, but you'll hear him in the background every once in a while, you know, get a little hype about a toy. Um, hope it's not too distracting, but, uh, we tried to keep him down. The history pug has a, you know, he's he's an independent pug. He does what he wants to do. Um, but I started out actually asking Jeffrey about how he got involved in the cemetery in the first place. You know, I, I didn't know about it. I lived, I mean, I knew that it existed, but I never went there until uh, 1997 when I helped organize a, uh, uh, a commemorative event for the uh, for the soldiers who were buried near there, who at the time we thought were actually buried in the cemetery, recognized that, and for the next several years was uh, would go out occasionally until 2006, when uh, I found out about the friends group and I joined the friends group and have been pretty constantly, consistently involved with things out there ever since. Yeah, but I guess the cemetery would. Because I read online somewhere that it was the first municipal cemetery, but I, from what I understand, it was the were the they're not the two northern blocks of where St. John's was that not a municipal cemetery first? Um, kind of. Uh, my understanding is that St. John's had kind of a working relationship with the city that the 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 cemetery there was kind of the de facto burial ground for the city, and this and the city did some. Uh, had some responsibility for the burials there and for the maintenance there. But my understanding is it was still a church cemetery. It was still owned, the land was still owned by the church. Uh, so Shaco Hill was the first time the city, you know, started from, from, from a plot of land and just built its own cemetery, maintained it, you know, uh, was responsible for it. So in that sense, it really is the first true Municipal cemetery in Richmond. And what makes them do? I mean, what is the? I mean, just 
obviously bodies aren't piling up. I mean, but it's just St. John's is filling up. And St. John's is filling up. Uh, they know that. They've known that for a while, I think, by by the you know eighteen fifteen, eighteen twenty time frame. And also, you know, by that point, by eighteen twenty, you had all across the country, you had this you know uh, trend towards cities realizing and understanding that they had to start stepping in and taking control of this situation because in, in various places where the, where the urban areas were building up, uh, this was beginning to be a problem. You know, sure. you, you had to bury people somewhere and you leave people to their own devices or in, in odd uh, churchyards here and there, then it becomes unsightly and frankly kind of unsanitary. So I think cities realized as they grew, they needed to take charge of this. So by 1800, you're seeing municipal cemeteries established all up and down the eastern seaboard uh, in the bigger cities. Uh, so, about, you know, Richmond's uh, Shaco Hills established in 1820, so they're a little late to the party in that sense. Uh, but uh, by that point, long overdue, because St. John's was filling up, and there really wasn't a good place for people in the city uh, who lived in the city or were going to be buried in the, in the city, not in some country churchyard or in a family farm somewhere, you know, they had to have a place to put them. So, you know, Richmond uh, became a part of that second great wave of cemetery building, which was the city stepping in, and you had the cities laying out these very rectangular, gridded, you know, organized plots where they knew where everybody went and they kept records on it and uh, reasonably well. And, you know, it was just, it was just, kind of the pressure of the times you had to start organizing yeah. this consequence of people living in urban settings sure. which was they you know they start dying off and then you got to do something with them so one well, thing that expansion i think is of the city and the areas because you know there's like a all right relax though <laughs> um so there's the i know that there is not far from from where we are like down right down in fulton like uh near rocket's landing i've found these newspaper articles where they were talking about um, these, it's basically a family plot that was down, you know, that was when this was rural land and then Fulton was built on top of it. And now there's nothing, you know, they, they mm-hmm. talked about where there's a six foot high obelisk, um, I remember, you know, a monument to a, some, some, some children and then, um, really a rocket's landing. Uh, it's not far, maybe a mm-hmm. hundred yards from the rocket's mm-hmm. landing and, and in a little wooded area that I've, I've walked through a number of times that, uh, hmm. I can't, you know, it was six foot obelisk. You'd think you'd be able to find it, but it, I mean, is it gone or, or I can, just can't find anything? And somebody said that it was uh, the the people that owned the land may have uh, um, made it disappear because they wouldn't be able to sell the land or do anything with it if they were the, or the you know, extra cost if they were bought, you know, whatever. Um, but, I mean, that just seems like a pretty big problem. I mean, for a city, you know, you start burying people in, in miscellaneous places all around the city. You need to concentrate it, right? Well, absolutely. Well, that, that, is, that would be a problem. I mean, when you, when you got these little family plots or the farms were or, or somebody had, had built their own little private cemetery and other folks had gone in there. And the city starts to expand and starts to grow up and around these. And, you know, what do you do with them? Uh, that, that, is, that would be a problem. And, yeah. and so I think the city would have an interest in kind of consolidating that kind of thing. And not letting people to their own devices in, you know, determining where grandpa's going to be buried or, you know, sure. the kids or, you know, every time an epidemic comes through, there's, a, in that kind of situation, we've got mass death and huge numbers of people. Then you've got to have a recourse, you know, to, to get people buried, organized and, and quickly and, and, and in, a, in a safe and sanitary way. So one more reason for the city kind of stepping into the cemetery business. Absolutely. Uh, you know. Um, and, and what's shocked the area that is now Shaco Hill Cemetery? I mean, what... What is that? Is that farmland? I mean, I'm assuming the city owned it. I mean, it seemed pretty far out. Yeah. Outside of the city. Right. When they put the cemetery in, it was actually right on the border of the city and county. In fact, part of the original four acres of the cemetery, when they plotted that out and laid it out, was, was in the county of Enrico. So um, the city hadn't even grown up all the way up to that point yet. I, I don't know at what point it grew past that, but not too very long after. You know, but but the, the, the cemetery is located in an area where there had been, uh, on what was the outskirts of the city, where, where other cemeteries had been located. There was the Hebrew Cemetery that but had that gone was in. already there. Already there. It was established in 1816. Uh, you know, they had started on Franklin Street um, in, 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 a, in a little fraction of an acre plot that's still there, actually, mm-hmm. now surrounded by high-rise apartments. Uh, but they quickly outgrew that. And so the, the, 
the congregation, the Jewish congregation, said, well, we've got to find a new place, and they established it up at the very north end of Shaco Hill, right at the point where Shaco Hill drops off down into Shaco Creek. Um, uh, so, and there was also uh, near there at the corner of Fifth and Hospital Streets, across from the old Hebrew cemetery, was a, a burial ground for slaves and freed blacks. Uh, so you had at least two cemeteries operating there at the time Shaco Hill was established. So it was, it was already, it was, it was clearly that's what was considered to be the use for that particular little section of town. Was this is where cemeteries went? So it was logical they put it there. Um, and and, and it, that one with the uh, the enslaved and free blacks, that's not there. There is no. This is a fascinating thing to me. There is no. Uh, there's nothing there that would tell you that that cemetery was there. A, an old, quasi-abandoned gas station sits on that land, huh. uh, and uh, it, it, it kind of comes and goes as a business. Somebody puts a car repair place, and that seems to disappear, and and then it comes back for a little bit and disappears again. Other than that, there's nothing on that land. That land, because of the freeway construction and road construction, Fifth Street especially, has been altered a lot. That doesn't. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it looks like it did 150 years ago. In fact, I know it doesn't. Uh, so I'm not sure how much of that land has been lost to road construction and development. Sure. But that land was a, a, a burial place for slaves and free blacks. And I have found almost nothing in the record that talks about that. You know, huh. uh, people have make a, a lot of noise about the the Lumpkins uh, Jail burial ground. And yet, I hear nothing about this other cemetery, which sure. which operated, as far as I can tell, from the very skimpy record for forty or fifty years, maybe more in that in that spot. Wow! So uh, there's something that needs to somebody needs to dive into that and, and really kind of flesh that that story out in terms of that cemetery. But but it goes to the point of this is where the, you know folks had established in kind of a wild, rough edge of town where where Shaco Hill there are a lot of ravines and gullies and, and a kind of led you down to where Shaco Creek was. Not very useful land otherwise, I think, was the idea. Right. So that's where you put the cemeteries. Huh. And so it's 1820, it gets chartered. Correct. Right. And then the first burial is in 1822. Correct. Um, and is there, is, is that anybody? Do we, I mean, is that some, do we know any idea who that is? Or? Uh, we know from the, the, the cemetery record gives us a name. Um, I forget what the name was. as a woman. Uh but yeah, no, nobody, nobody particularly special or memorable, uh, and burials continued there at a you know relatively slow clip for about a good eight or ten years okay. before the numbers of burials start to pick up. Um, and I don't know; I doubt that was a surprise. I think they knew that they just needed to get it going right, rather right, than they weren't right. expecting a huge number of folks to be buried there. And I think pretty quickly after the first burial in eighteen twenty two. Uh, the city began acquiring land around it to expand the cemetery because they knew they needed it, uh, that they would need it, and this was just kind of planning ahead. So, um, I mean, it's all, even still today. I mean, it's still a relatively small. Yeah, I mean, it's less than thirteen acres, uh, and 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 you know, by by eighteen, the late eighteen forties, the city realizes that they're going to outgrow that, and that's not going to last forever. So that's the beginning of Oakwood Cemetery. Right. Okay. Is when is when the city realizes we've got to do something else besides this, uh, and they and they. Began to you know, buy the land or whatever they did for Oakwood and, and established cemetery there about 1850, I think. Okay, uh, was when that started. Uh, so I mean, it wasn't very long before Shaco Hill became not obsolete exactly because burials continued there for many years. But but it was it was clear that Richmond was growing faster, I think, than people anticipated. And sure. They, and you know, you got to take care of the got to take care of this problem. So right. I mean, it seems to me, I guess, and you know, from today's point of view, you know, somebody like John Marshall, who's there, um, very prominent, obviously very prominent figure, and not just in the city, but I mean, in the country, and mm-hmm. for him to be buried in a municipal graveyard seems like somewhat, somewhat low class. I don't, I don't, you know. Well, it's funny. I think. Uh, you know, there, you know the t- at that time, and Marshall died in 1835. His wife had died and been buried there in 1831. I think at that time there was no Hollywood Cemetery. There was no other place in the in the in or around the city uh, other than St. John's, which was pretty full, to be buried. And I think I think it, it, I I think that it was clear that this was far from being kind of lower. Class. I mean, this was the place to be buried. Okay. This was the Hollywood Cemetery of its day. Um, 
uh, all of the leading families had plots there. So there didn't seem to be any bias okay. about this being a city cemetery or whatever. It was where you went to be buried. Right. You know, you look at the names there, Marshall, Hacksall, uh, you know, uh, uh, Van Lu, all the, all the old names of Richmond from that time period are there. So sure. it wasn't it, quite the opposite. It was, it was the prestige place to be buried until after the Civil War, and, and, uh, and then, of course, Hollywood becomes prominent with its Confederate burials and, and its beauty and everything, and it kind of takes over as the, as, the, uh, as the premier destination, so to speak. Sure. And the, I mean, is there, I mean, do, is there any kind of indication of what the, those funerals would have been like? Hmm. I mean... The, the, the services you mean at the cemetery? Yeah, I mean, you know, because there's tons of folks out there. And, and like I said, there's tons of folks that seem like they had money. Um, you know, but I, I don't know. I, I know, I mean, I definitely, I can remember reading that uh, um, Francisco gets full military honors. And I, mean, I would imagine that John Marshall would get the same. Um, but I mean, you know, him in particular, you know, thinking about like, I mean, this thinking Chief Justice dies today, right? I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be a heck yeah. of a... Um, a to do. I mean, was there? I, I really don't even know what the funeral custom was. Yeah, that's an interesting question because I, 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 you know, um, the, the mourning practices of the first half of the of the of the eighteen hundreds. You know, uh, I think there was a lot of. I mean, I, I'm not uh, well read in that, but it appears there was a a lot of uh, uh, you know kind of. Um, uh, a, a hopefully mournful quality, as I'll, I'll just coin a phrase there, because you know the, the, the great uh, revivals had spread through the country in the early late 1800s, early 1800s, and and the whole attitude towards death in the United States had taken a turn. It was a different, it was a different approach. Uh, a lot of what you see that you don't in the old graveyards in New England, you see skulls and crossbones on the, mm-hmm. on the graves. It's kind of a mournful, sorrowing quality. You know, by 1800, you're seeing uh, uh, fingers pointed upward, clouds, the gates of heaven opening. People took a really different approach to death and dying and mourning, and I think you see this reflected in in in, in the in the uh, markers at, at at Chaco Hill and other cemeteries at that time. And I think that the the kind of funeral events would have reflected that. There were a lot of flowers, uh, a lot of hopeful talk about you know a better place, meeting again in heaven. I think that you know. Uh, not exactly a celebration, but but uh, but you would have seen um, uh, military processions like uh, like Peter Francisco had um, a lot of pomp, a lot of ceremony, um, and and a, you know a, a a sad but kind of hopeful tone. I think would have would have been part of those kinds of events, and I expect that Marshall would have had something like that, and sure, and his wife and those those prominent persons who were buried there, you know, before 1850, right? And I guess. It's some of those markers as well, like just that they begin to exist as, you know, as things like, especially going to, um, you know, uh, like I said, St. John's, you know, looking at that. I mean, I know uh, folks like um, George Witt was buried without a marker, you know, and then actually getting to Shaco, you know, and a lot of those ones are, they're very plain. And, and then you get into Shaco Hill, and it's, uh, you know, almost like that bridge to Hollywood Cemetery where they become, you know, getting yeah. more... Right, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, yes, you see, kind of, in, in, in many ways, Shaco Hill is a transitional cemetery from the old uh, churchyard, that first wave of American cemetery building in the churchyards and in the farms where, you know, it's very plain and un- unornamented and, and, you know, the attitude towards remembrance was, was you know, a very uh, kind of, kind of low-key and, and, and a mournful tone. And then, you know, you're transitioning into the Shaco Hill era, which is, you know, the, the markers are getting larger and brighter and, and more hopeful, and the, the skulls and crossbones disappear, and you're seeing this other more kind of uh, a lighter uh, decoration. Uh, and then, of course, you end up at Hollywood, where massive markers for the right. wealthy and, and, um, and this lovely setting and very you know, rural uh, approach, very, very uh, you know, the intent was to, be, to look very rural and kind of green and... and, and um, uh, kind of pastoral, uh, so this Shaco Hill fits in that middle middle section of what cemeteries were doing, and so does the ornamentation there. Yeah, because I think John Marshall's grave, in, in particular, I mean, it looks. Uh, I mean, it's somewhat is. I mean, it's pretty substantial. It is, although, but yeah, I mean, he, he he was a man still, of means, but it's still very modest. You know, it's still it's not uh, it's not ridiculous. You know, it's 
it fits in with that time very well, and it fits in with his character very well because it was, as you say, very substantial, uh, uh, not inexpensive. You know, it showed a man of of, of wealth, of taste, uh, but it was not gaudy. It was not. He didn't. The, 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 his marker didn't list his accomplishments. Didn't list. You know, all it says is his name and dates, and he was, as it says, intermarried with with Polly, and and that's it. I mean, you wouldn't know. Unless you knew him, you if you just stood up there and had no, no idea who John Marshall was, you wouldn't know, other than he was probably fairly wealthy, right. who this guy was. Yeah. Uh, so uh, it's, it's substantial, but not gaudy, I think is sure. a very good way of putting it. Yeah, um, Yeah, and I'm hoping very shortly that I'm going to get in a uh, conversation with the folks from the John Marshall house to get a whole uh, a whole episode just good. about John Marshall. But um, the uh, there's also a lot of metal ones out there, metal, metal stones, more than I've seen really at any other... Metal. What do you mean, metal stones? Uh, the or like metal markers, that, like the the, the kind of gray color. I don't know what they're made of, but there's there. It's actually like looks like it's like cast metal. Yeah, there are some of those. Uh, in, they're they're zinc basically, but they were marketed using the term white bronze because they okay. were it was to make them sound more appealing. This was a, a couple of companies in New England. Uh, in the late 1800s and early 1900s, we're, we're making these markers, um, and there are several of them at Shaco Hill. You know, they were relatively brief period of time they were being made and marketed, uh, and they are they're capable of you have you can kind of build your own marker. You have your basic kind of uh, designs and basic structure, and you can you know screw in plates that have specific wording for specific, you know. Uh, right. So you can kind of mix and match, um, and they've actually, for the most part, have held up pretty well for over a hundred years now. Uh, they actually, actually, you know, have have uh, they've done well. So sure. there aren't that many at Shaco Hill. Um, uh, but what, what's one of the things interesting about Shaco Hill is it was in operation long enough for a, for a significant period of time that you have a lot of different styles, and one of those are these white bronze markers. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one of the styles they have there. But you see. Yeah, every other kind of 18th century funerary architecture out there. It's it's um, it, it's for those who, who who haven't seen it, know something about this subject. Go out there. It's it's a it's a wonderful site because you can just pick out you know by the decade what was prominent in a particular decade. You know what kind of stones, what kind of inscriptions, what kind of decorative elements. You know, and just and go through from from literally from 18 early 1820s into into the 1940s and 50s. Sure. Yeah. So it's a it's a it's a wonderland for someone who's who's into that kind of thing. And I guess Elizabeth Van Loos as well is like uh, it's just a big rock. Big rock. Yeah. Uh, the story being that the grave was not marked. She had outlived most of her family and some folks up in Boston knowing of her history as a leading union union unionist agent in Richmond um, got together and Created uh, the the bronze marker and then selected a, uh, a, a a marker of rock typical to Massachusetts in Boston and sent it down and, and had it installed on her grave. That's that's the story. Um, and it was within a few years after her death that that was done. Okay, so it wasn't long, but it was not marked until then. Wow! And so, does she have other family on there? She does. Her 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 mother, father, uh, her are there in her plot, and then. Gosh, others. Her at least one niece, maybe two nieces. She was never married, never had children. Right. One one niece that she's buried in the same grave with her favorite niece, who had died just a few months before before she did, before Elizabeth did, and it supposedly left her heartbroken. It probably hastened her death, the, the death of this favorite young niece. Uh, so she's buried in the same grave with her, uh, which oddly is not the grave over which the marker sits. She's actually the next grave over. Huh. I don't know why that's the case, but nevertheless. Um, well, I guess people that don't know, Elizabeth Van Loo was a, a Union spy. Um, yes, right. And, yeah, with Crazy Bet. Well, Crazy call. Bet, although, uh, oddly enough, that's a, the whole idea of Crazy Bet is a post-war invention. There really? Was somebody, she, the, there's no evidence to suggest she deliberately acted odd or weird during the war. Huh. Uh, that's a post-war invention of, of her executor and, and a writer who got together and for some reason, they thought that would make a good story. Yeah. Uh, but there's no evidence that she... I mean, she was considered odd because she was unmarried, because she was rumored to have unionist sympathies, uh, because she was kind of odd demeanor generally. But but she certainly didn't go around Richmond in a in a sack coat and a hat singing to herself or, you know, in, in dirty clothes or something or, you know, tri- you know, dancing through the streets. I mean, that's all, that's all bogus, uh, huh. actually. Yeah. Uh, 
But yeah, she was she was the leading she was the leader, in fact, of the spy ring, the intelligence ring that operated in Richmond during the war that mm-hmm. turned over huge amounts of useful information to the to the Union uh, High Command. Uh, she aided Union prisoners uh, who had escaped and helped get them through the lines and out of town. Uh, had a spy network that operated not only in Richmond but in Henrico and Charles City County and Hanover County. Uh, where she, and she was able to get requests for information in, get her spy ring out, collect information. They'd bring it back to her. She'd sift through it, and using a, uh, a code system, a cipher system, she'd uh, smuggle it through the lines using sure. trusted uh, slaves that she knew or other persons. Uh, and it was apparently tremendously helpful to right. the Union Army and what they were doing, what they were planning around Richmond to know what was going on in Richmond, what was being heard and seen in, in Richmond. So. She was a she was a major major figure in Civil War Richmond, no question about it. Right, and her house was where the Bellevue Elementary is now. Correct, in Churchill. Correct. Um, she died in 1900. The city, not long afterward, tore her house down and built and built the school. Lovely old uh, mansion that she had, and, and of course, some say that was out of spite. Uh, right, but perhaps the mansion was getting old and kind of crumbly at that point too. And I mean, so she is. I mean, I was trying to think of that day. So it is 1900. It's like right around there, anyways, right? She died in 1900. Yeah. Okay, and so the. Uh, they're still burying people. I mean, how long do they bury people at Shaco Hill? The, the last burial in Shaco Hill was in 2003 that really? I'm aware of. I, I believe that's the last burial, uh, and the, and it's still open to burials. If you have uh, uh, if there's space in a family plot, and um, you can get permission to be buried there, there's there's no reason why you couldn't be buried there today. So, yeah. Uh, so it's 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 they're very few. It's been ten years yeah. since the last burial, but. Um, but uh, and there were some in the years before that, and and someday there will be. In fact, I know a gentleman whose wife is there, and, and you know, at his time, he's going to be buried there too. So That's fantastic. So we see we see it's going to keep using, and we'd like people to rediscover their family connections there, and 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 not only work on maintaining their family plots, but you know, if 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 it's feasible to to use the plot, I, mean, I just think it you know it, it's a it's a wonderful idea, and certainly uh, certainly not out of the question. Right, and. Um, the because I know you're involved with a lot of the uh, preservation, right? I mean, getting a lot of that stuff going on. Keep, it was the first time we ever met. You were out there propping up a stone. That <laughs> right, right. Yeah, the, the friends group exists. One of the main functions of the friends group uh, that we have is is kind of helping the city to conserve and preserve and repair and just kind of do the work in the cemetery that otherwise isn't likely to get done. Sure. Because so. it's and, and I assume it's is it up to the families to keep up their plots or does Correct. maintain that? Or? No, and, and that's that's one of the the the, the, the things about uh, pretty much any cemetery is that is that, you know, the, the markers and the plots are the responsibilities of the families. For the uh, well, generally speaking that's the case. Many cemeteries have a way to that uh, uh, individual families can buy into a perpetual care fund. Mm-hmm. Which the idea is that okay, you buy into this fund, you put a, a lump sum of money in this fund, and which which takes in money from all these other people, and then the city or the cemetery owner, if it's a private cemetery, will use those monies, the interest presumably off of those monies invested, to maintain the plots, cut the grass, repair the markers, so forth and so on. At Shaco Hill, as in many cemeteries around the country, uh, you you've had this pot of money sitting there, which is frankly a temptation. Right. To dip into it, to use it if some big need comes up, well, then you dip into the perpetual care fund. And eventually, at Shaco Hill, as in many other cemeteries, the funds disappeared. Sure. So there is no more perpetual care fund, and the families are on their own. They've got to take care of these. Um, and, of course, in a cemetery where most of the burials were before 1890, in many cases the families don't exist or aren't around. So literally, there's nobody with a family interest who's going to take care of that. Right. Which is kind of where we step in as a friends group. Is and to is to is to fill that role and to and to do the work that needs to be done, you know, taken care of um, plots that need to be taken care of. Yeah, and I, know, I mean, I know presidents get uh, get federal help. I mean, does he? Uh, um, does did chief justices get? You know, because like, I mean, you know, like at Hollywood, the, I understand the federal government maintains. John Tyler and James Monroe's grave. That, uh, that would be interesting. I would I would expect that be the case. Sure. And do they the chief justices get nothing? Apparently not. Uh, fortunately, the John Marshall Foundation, which is located here in Richmond, headquartered here, does do quite a bit of work in taking care of the Marshall grave site, okay. planning it, trimming it, keeping putting putting up an interpretive sign, maintaining the wrought iron fence. They do 
they do a lot with that. Uh, you know, there isn't any other similar organization taking care of any other graves. Okay, right. But at least the John Marshall grave, you know, it has that attention and has that help. What about Francisco? Because I mean, he's I mean, he's he's a he's one of these guys. He's like a he's almost like one of these weird. Like, is he real? Like, he's like you know, <laughs> kind of like, a mythic character, right, right. Paul Bunyan, right, type of fella, in, um, and not, almost literally like Paul Bunyan. And, you know. So he's huge. Right, I mean, that's Peter Francisco. Yeah, he's called the giant. Right, right. right. He's physically huge. Um, you know, uh, incredibly brave. Apparently, great personal bravery. Um, his grave attracts a lot of attention from groups. Uh, you know, the Sons of the American Revolution and, and other groups, and a descendants organization, descendants of Peter Francisco. So his grave gets a lot of attention. Yeah, uh, people visit it and, and to some extent kind of keep it cleaned up and stuff. But there's no there's nobody official you know, looking out for that. Sure, these other graves. I mean, you know, you get beyond presidents, and there aren't many folks who are going to you know right. or, or entities that are going to take a lot of time to to worry about it. You know, so especially if they people been dead for 150 years or you know whatever. Because and he's like, I mean, his yeah, like I said, I mean, he what he's Portuguese. He was yeah. Well, they think they assume based on I guess the evidence he was he was a, abandoned as a small child. He arrived from Portugal. You know, maybe his parents had died in the voyage, and the sailors just put him off on the dock. I don't know what the story is, uh, but he was alone at a very young age, believed to be from Portugal, and um, said his name was Pedro. So mm-hmm. they you know, called him Peter, um, and they grew up in the states and adopted the, the revolutionary kind of approach and. Yeah, uh, you know, but a fascinating story, and you know, uh, interesting guy to be out there. It's a wonderful kind of uh, uh, story for the cemetery to tell about this guy. And, and uh, I grew up in California. I never heard of him before moving out here. I had no yeah. idea who he was, but apparently, you know, back on the East Coast, he, he's he's actually a pretty big deal. Yeah, there's like tons Seward. of stories of him. Oh, sure. Uh, you know, killing huge groups of people by himself, yeah. like an action hero, and then getting stabbed and shot, and, and well, just carries on. Carries on. I mean, you know, carrying heavy artillery around. I think I think Rhode Island still has a Peter Francisco Day yeah, on, yeah. on the state holiday calendar. I mean, so he's he's a he's a he's a he's a major figure in revolutionary history. Because there's um, one thing that, like every time I've ever read it, they always says the legend is. So it's probably <laughs> may or may not be true, but there's somewhere like where they like there's a cannon that. Like they they begin retreating and they, he realizes the cannon is still there, so he actually runs back onto the battlefield and pulls the cannon out of the mud and pull, apparently pulls it back by himself. Supposedly, like, yes, yes. So I imagine in real life, I mean, he may well have have handled a small artillery piece. Sure, you know, and, and, sure. just, and, the, and the telling of the story became this huge, you know, huge uh, cannon. But um, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's he, he's part of the myth of the American Revolution, no question. He's firmly in there. And what he did in, in actuality, I'm sure, was impressive enough. Uh, and then had a long life in Richmond afterwards. Is very active in in state government and social affairs in the city. Was a was a major major figure in Richmond. So because I, th- I, I, I think he was like the sergeant at arms. Your sergeant at arms of the of the House of Delegates, I think, if yeah. I remember correctly. So he he was he was a, a well known, well respected figure for for many many years. Yeah, because um, and, and correct me if I because I've only got like you know like tertiary readings of this, but it's, from what I understand, he like kind of got poor at the end of his life, right? And then like, I don't know. I don't know how that went. Um, I, I haven't heard. The, the, the tale that I heard is that he was this hero and then fell on hard times because I, I don't think he was, he wasn't educated, so he like went back to school, like when he was, like after the war, he went back to school with like children and and they would, and he would like be, you know, in class with children learning the same like reading and writing and stuff and that, <laughs> you know, they loved, all loved him because he was, you know, would tell these tales of you know I you know killed the entire British army you know with bare my bare hands and you know these kind of like legendary tales, um, and then got out and then the, the state made him the sergeant at arms just so that he could live off. Not, and, and like I said, I could be wrong. Anyone, Sounds reasonable. Anyone listening to this, totally correct me <laughs> if I'm right or wrong. Um, but um, but yeah, and, and he's one of these because I had never heard of him until not that long ago and. Um, I mean, I think it's, you know, I don't know, he just seems like a fascinating character. Right, right? And, and he's one of those stories we can tell about the cemetery that help, you know, make the cemetery more of an interesting place and, and create more of a, more drama around it. I mean, he's a, he's a, he's one of those, he's one of the three or four people who we regularly see people coming out to Shaco Hill to find that grave. You know, they, right. they want to see where John Marshall is, where Elizabeth Van Lewis is, and where Peter Francisco is. Those sure. are probably the three, um, the three most popular 
the and folks I, out there. I guess we talked a little bit on the way inside here, but where the Union soldiers used to be. Right. Uh, yeah, now that was a, that was an interesting story. I think, and, and I'm, I, there's no comprehensive history of that, but what I think the story generally is, is that they in July, after the first Battle of Bull Run, July 1861, these Union prisoners start flooding into town. Uh, some of them sick and some of them injured, and they're being held here, and, and the idea is they're going to send these prisoners down further south to Savannah or Charleston or, or other places. But for a, a while at least, they're in Richmond. Um, and while being treated here, some of the sick and injured ones die, and they don't quite know probably what to do with them. And I think the answer was for those, for those prisoners who died in Richmond during the first two years of the war, by and large, the answer was to take them to Shaco Hill, not inside the cemetery, but just outside the cemetery, uh, uh, just to the east of the cemetery, and they dug two big pits, and they just buried them in there as they died. Hmm. Um, I, don't, I don't know for sure that there weren't other burial places, but I can't imagine there were too many more than that. Uh, so over the course of, of uh, about 20 months, about 500 soldiers, prisoners have died, in the city while being treated in the city or held in the city, and they're buried in these big pits. After that, you know, um, beginning in later in 1863, the, the, the idea became that more and more that they weren't going to send, they were going to keep the prisoners in Richmond indefinitely. It wasn't going to be this process of bringing them in, processing them, and sending them out. So right. by the, but, that, that comes from after the Emancipation Proclamation, where they're no longer going to exchange prisoners. It might, might have had something then, to do with that. Yeah, they, yeah. They, they kind of altered. So more and more prisoners were being held in Richmond. Right. And this is where you start seeing numbers of prisoners held indefinitely on Belle Isle or in Libby Prison. Right. You know, where they aren't being sent somewhere else. And at that point, uh, the soldiers on Belle Isle were buried on Belle Isle for the most part. Uh, for whatever reason, the burials on Shaco Hill stop in March of 1863. There are no more, as far as we can tell, no more prisoner burials. But, the, but they're there. They're buried there. After the war, um, the federal government comes in, as they did all through the South, and found where soldiers were buried and, and uh, uh, disinterred them. And in the case of those soldiers on Shaco Hill, moved them out to the Williamsburg National Cemetery. So those guys are out there today, and they're um, about 550, give or take, you know, 20 or 30. The, n- the numbers aren't clear. Um, so, and, and the, the ones that are on Belle Isle were removed. The ones at Oakwood were removed. Right. Um, there are a number buried out there. They're the alls they could find. I think they got 99% of them um, were all moved out. Um, certainly reason to believe, given the orderliness of the burials on Chunko Hill, that all those remains were moved. Um, interestingly, that land, which at that point was owned by the city, is now part of the newer portion of the Hebrew Cemetery, which bought that land from the city about 1910 and is expanding as need arises, expanding into that land. It's huh. a sliver of land in between 4th and 5th Streets, just south of Hospital Street. Um, so it's, it's, again, serving as a, as a cemetery, oddly enough. Sure. Um, uh, but those soldiers, yeah, for many, many years, because of the con- confusing records, people believed that those soldiers were buried within Shaco Hill Cemetery. Uh, and it was assumed they were buried in the, in the kind of open section where you could buy a single grave or where they buried paupers or, you know, other folks who, who didn't have good uh, other uh, uh, resources. Uh, actually... As I did some research on this in, in the early 2000s, and it turns out, well, no, the records are confusing, and if you look at all the records and look at them all together, they weren't buried in the city, in, in, in Chaco Hill Cemetery. As I say, they were buried just, just east outside. of the cemetery, yeah. Um, it always, it always, I always wondered why the city would waste land that they could have sold to somebody, why they'd waste that land on burying Yankee prisoners. It never made any sense to me. <laughs> right. And eventually I did the research to find out, well, in fact, they didn't. They buried them. They buried them elsewhere. Sure. And, uh, I mean, I guess the same question is uh, why were Confederates, you know, because it, it was definitely a huge problem. Where do you put all these Confederates? Um, I, mean, I know there's 13, more than 13,000 at uh, Hollywood and, you know, yeah. tens, you know ten, more than 10,000 at Oakwood. But, I mean, what is the... Uh, was is it just too full at that time, or to, for shock, to bury him in Shaco Hill? Yeah. Well, there were there are hundreds of Confederate soldiers buried in Shaco Hill. But are they are are they not? You know, I, I guess it's not the mass 
the mass. No, so, no, they were buried individually. They and and, and and you know, instead of thousands, there are a couple of hundred wartime casualties buried at Shockville, as far right. as we can tell. Maybe maybe as many as three hundred. I doubt it. Probably closer to two hundred. But in wartime are, casualties, are those not folks that like? Are identified, their family owned the plot, they died, they were buried there, or, or are these the same type of mass graves that you'd find at Hollywood and Oakwood? Well, the, the, the wartime deaths, the battle deaths, the, the battle wounded or the, the, uh, the sickness deaths, uh, were, were just soldiers in, in Richmond. Uh, perhaps they died at the hospital that was located across the street from mm-hmm. the cemetery. Perhaps that's why they're there. Perhaps there's a family connection. But there are no mass graves of Confederate soldiers. I mean, they're buried in individual graves, usually not marked, but but they're buried um, as as others would have been. And so, some of them had markers, and, and in some cases, we've been able in the last five or six years to get markers for these guys, uh, as we've identified their graves and in some cases, family members. But they're they're scattered throughout the cemetery, um, and uh, and of course, then you've got all those veterans who died after the war. They're all over the place in there. Uh, so, you know, there are literally hundreds and hundreds of Confederate soldiers, including a couple of hundred of wartime deaths, who are just buried in graves. Uh, a few of them marked, most of them not. Right. Yeah. And the um, daughters of the Confederacy or the sons of Confederate veterans, they come out and help at all, or is there... Uh, there have been, uh, yeah, over the years, there have been, uh, been efforts by the United Daughters of the Confederacy or the or sons of Confederate veterans or other groups to, to put memorials out there or mark graves, and in the work that the fr- our friends group has done over the last several years, certainly there's been some some help and input from those groups and other groups uh, to mark graves. So, uh, uh, you know, it, it's with all with all the Confederate graves in Richmond, it's it's hard to pinpoint yeah. on just a couple. All those hundreds and thousands out in Oakwood and Hollywood, you know, Shaco Hill Cemetery has been uh, has been kind of small potatoes in sure. terms of numbers. Um, uh, we you know, and we're still trying. We're still locating uh, relatives of soldiers who, who want to help getting a government-supplied marker. Uh, the government uh, in 2012 made it more difficult to get these because they said, "Look, you have to have next to kin. You can't just be a historian or a researcher and get a marker. Oh, really? Okay. You got to be next to kin." And, and, and this is the the white. These are the, the, the white, the, the white markers. upright markers that you see exactly, um, and they can be flat uh, if, if you want, or you know, or Flat bronze or flat granite or upright granite or marble, uh, but those are the government supply. Which the government sends for free. The city charges you to put them in, so there's a cost involved. But but the government uh, will, will send them for free. But now, since last year, only if you're a relative. So we've been able to find a few relatives. So we've been able to kind of, you know, get around that. But our efforts, our hopes of putting in, you know, uh, a couple of dozen more markers have been stymied because, you know, sure. we're not relatives. We're not going to lie about that on the on the marker <laughs> application. So. Uh, you know, we've had to we've had to scale back our efforts on that, um, but hopefully, and the word is the rumor I'm hearing is that rule is going to be changed. It's going to go back to being, uh, um, you know, that a- any person with the permission of the landowner can can request uh, markers to be delivered. So hopefully, fingers crossed, that'll change in in the next short while. But that's just a rumor, right? So far, right? We'll see. Yeah. We'll um, see. Uh, and so I guess, and I mean, because it's. Definitely not a, uh, I mean, for those of us that like to go walk through cemeteries, um, it's probably one of the forgotten ones, you know, it seems like, you know, so, you know, like you said, Hollywood and Oakwood get a lot more attention. Um, it's pretty awesome. I mean, it's definitely in a weird part of town, I mm-hmm. guess, at this point. Um, I mean, it is the, it's well, I mean, I don't know, I think it's well worth somebody's time. Absolutely. It, it is. It, it is. It's a lost and forgotten gem in many ways. Um, you know, there've been very few burials there since 1950. Say, I mean, the, uh, it's, it's it's of an age where it's kind of, you know, the the families have moved on or died off, and 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 it's it's in a part of town that was cut off by the construction of I-95 and I-64, cut off from the rest of the city. So that's changing. The city is slowly kind of moving back over the interstate, uh, but it would that that had a big effect on on how that cemetery was maintained and how well it was known. Uh, so, you know, with the kind of attention we're bringing to it, with the growth of development and industry on the north side of I-95, you know, we're hopefully we're going to, we'll, we'll see a renaissance there. Yeah, because I know there's also, um, I know you guys have been doing really cool stuff with the Poe Museum. They had like a, um, I actually did, I, I was really bummed out, I really wanted to go, but it was like a, a play 
it was like a live action play, I think. Yes. They had Elizabeth Van Lu and um, uh, John Allen's first wife is buried out there. Um, and well, yeah, and that's an interesting point. There are more, Shelton. Absolutely. There are more Poe connections. I'm firmly convinced there are more, more direct Poe connections in that cemetery than any other cemetery in the country. Uh, his, his foster parents, his, uh, the great love of his life, Elmira uh, Royster, is there. Uh, uh, people he knew in Richmond, Dr. Carter, who was the last person to see him before he left for Baltimore for his death. All these folks who knew him uh, wrote for his magazine, The Southern Literary Messenger. Uh, Jane Standard Craig. J- Jane Standard Craig, the, great, the first great muse of his life, his, his good friend Robert Standard's mother, who, who uh, was an inspiration to him. All these people that he knew. And so the Poe Museum has been active with us and has uh, been part of this, as you say, this live theater production that's been done in the cemetery uh, in the recent years, which is Edgar Allan Poe coming back to Richmond and leading people through the cemetery where he runs into all these people that he knew in life, you know. Right. Uh, John Allen, with whom he has a tremendous argument in the cemetery, you know, is uh, John's wife, uh, uh, Frances, who he loved dearly and who loved him. Uh, uh, Elmira, you know, all these folks who, who come back and, and, and interact with him. It's a wonderful, wonderful event, and it's been very successful. We sell it out every time we do it, um, and it's a, also a fundraiser for the Friends Group. So it's a big win-win. We're going to keep. We're going to do it again. So just keep an eye sure. out for, for those uh, notices. You know? Yeah, absolutely. I'm all about that. And I guess if somebody wants to help out with the uh, cemetery and just like. Um, is there a way to get involved? Or? Absolutely. Uh, we, 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 we encourage folks to join with us. We have regular kind of cleanup days and, and alongside our kind of more social events like the Poe Theater event. We, we, we're now doing a St. Patrick's Day event every year in honor of Irish and other immigrants uh, of Richmond, especially those who are buried there. It's become very popular. People looking forward to that. Uh, we schedule other events uh, throughout the year. Uh, and uh, we found that our Facebook page is is the best way for people to get to us and find out what's going on. Uh, it's so it's so easy to adapt and, and put stuff up, and people get photos up, and sure. it's really really just a wonderful tool for us. We also have a website uh, which we're uh, which we're redeveloping now and, and making that more interactive. Um, and uh, and you can certainly contact us through either through the website or through the Facebook page. Awesome, yeah. Um, cool. I mean, I guess unless you got uh, something else that's that's. Uh Fancy favorite story about the cemetery or something? I mean, I think it seems pretty good, right? Yeah, I think we're good. Yeah, yeah. awesome. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Appreciate the time. No, oh, it's wonderful talking to you. It's good. Yeah, time. thank you. Absolutely. Awesome. That was it. Thank you very much, Jeffrey. I really appreciate that. Hopefully, you appreciate it as well. Uh, if you do, you know you've obviously listened this far into the podcast. Go on down to iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you're listening to this. Write a review for me. Um, follow me on Facebook, Twitter, and all that. Um, support Shock the Friends of Shaco Hill Cemetery. Go check out one of the events they have there. I uh, really appreciate you listening. Hope everybody's enjoying themselves and make it a great day.